We're going to do something uh, different this morning. Usually we read the complementary passage first and then the sermon text. Uh, we're going to do the opposite this morning. We're going to read the sermon text first, and then we will turn in our Bibles to the complementary passage. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 15. And in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 15, hear God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleaned of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. 
If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst." This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge. And for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Mark's gospel, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 25 and continuing in the reading of God's Word. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman. Knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's in the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father, dig for us ears that we may hear. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So I think if we can say anything about Christian worship, whether it be high liturgy to no liturgy, traditional, contemporary, whatever. If we can say anything about common, if we can say any common ground with Christian worship, it's that we're looking to experience God, right? Now, how we experience God is going to be framed by our worship. You may believe that in a more contemplative and and ritualistic sense is where you break through 
into this historic movement that is God through the church in the ages. Or you may think that in a more immediate sense, through singing songs that, that refresh our souls in who we are in Christ, that we have this, 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 this experience of love, an experience of, of, of acceptance. Now, in the Reformed Church, Reformed community, we believe very strongly that God speaks to you through His Word and Spirit. And His Word is audible and it is tasted. The Word is both the Bible and the sacraments. The Word of God speaks powerfully to you as you listen. And that's an interesting point that's brought up in the men's book study that we're doing. Kent Hughes said, when the psalmist says, ears you have dug for me. You have given me a willing heart. Ears you have dug for me. The image there is men who are all eyeballs, noses, and mouths, but no ears. Literal blockheads. Literal. (laughs) God has to dig out those ears for us so that we ourselves can listen. A quick example of what I mean by this, and then we'll get into the passage more directly, the quick example of what I mean by this is I was thinking about this over this past week, and I was thinking about my relationship with my father. My father was a missionary, and he was a pastor, and he was a medical doctor. He was widely respected, very active around the world, and yet I never knew the man. Now, he was faithful in the home. He led in family worship all the time. But I don't remember a single thing he ever said in family worship. I don't. I sat under hundreds of my father's sermons. I don't recall a single sermon. And I say that to my shame. I say that to my shame. And if you have ears to hear, hear. Because when God speaks through His Word, it most certainly has an impact. It either hardens you in your sin, in your dullness, in your dismissiveness. It hardens you or it breaks and heals. And we see the need for healing in this passage this morning. We're going to look at this passage in three ways. First, we're going to draw our attention back to a bigger section of the tapestry because standing alone, this was a weird passage. But it comes to us in a context. And so we're going to give that section of the tapestry. And then secondly, we're going to look at what this passage speaks to us of inner corruption. Inner corruption. And then thirdly, we're going to see the priest.
What this passage says in the context of the tapestry of Leviticus, the tapestry that really begins in Exodus chapter 17 and continues on through Numbers chapter 9, this glorious tapestry, and now that we've come to the book of Leviticus, the central question is, how shall we enter into the God, into God's presence? How shall we ascend this mountain? Who can ascend this mountain? And so we've got all of the gospel sacrifices and promises of the first eight chapters of Leviticus. All, all these, all these various promises that are, that are shown to us in the various sacrificial rites. And then we have this glorious section in nine and ten where finally God delivers to his people the priesthood. These men who are going to stand for God's people and communicate to God's people his love and his righteousness. And what happens in chapter 10? Their first day in ministry, all five of them fail. Nadab and Abihu are wiped out by the fire of God, but Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar likewise failed. The question is not, why did God wipe out Nadab and Abihu? Poor guys, they just pulled out their big lighter. The question is, why didn't God wipe all of them out? Every last one of them failed. And so the, suddenly the human priesthood is, from day one, demonstrated itself to be an absolute and colossal failure. And so beginning in chapter 11 of Leviticus, and now continuing through this, the close of this chapter, we deal with the problem of corruption. How is it that these five men dedicated to God, set apart for seven days, seeing the glory, seeing the miracles. How is it that these five men blow it on day one? And so we get into this extended treatment of corruption. What corruption is. And in chapter 12 we see that the promised land itself is drenched in corruption like a sponge that is soaked up a toxic black mass. The promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of protection is full of corruption. We see that that corruption goes to our bodies. That corruption that is all around us extends into ourselves. It permeates this land and the body. In chapter 12, we see that this corruption is passed on generationally. And that beautiful image that you've got in your mind of the newborn baby coming forth in all of its sweet beauty, if you'll notice from chapter 12, that thing morally is a toxic mass of sin that pollutes the mother. And the mother and that baby must stay outside God's covenant for seven days the young male is circumcised on the seventh day. God's covenant sign applied to him for seven days. What does that mean? For the first seven days, he is outside God's covenant. And we see how Christ identified. The New Testament writers make a point that Christ himself stood outside the covenant that he himself created for you. And for me. 
in the material on leprosy, which we've been spending some time in in chapters 13 and 14, we've seen how sin, by the time it shows up, by the time you can see it, it's already permeated your entire body. By the time sin destroys visibly, it's already corrupted completely internally. And now as we come to chapter 16, and we see both for men and women, this corruption, this corruption comes from within me. This corruption comes from within you. Male or female. It's from within that the corruption emerges. And it's interesting that even as chapter 12 opens with this scene of the corruption permeating generations, as, as the baby corrupts the mother, in the childbearing process, the corruption crosses generations. Here, in chapter 16, we've bracketed this whole section about personal corruption, beginning with how corruption passes generationally, and now the means of generation are corrupted. Do you see it? Do you, do you see the bracket? Do you see the balance? Corruption comes from one generation to the next, and the very organs that are involved in the generation of life are corrupt. It permeates. It infuses in a way that absolutely cannot be undone. And beloved, that's the state in which you and I stand before God. I began by asking, what would an encounter with God look like? What, what, would, what do you want from a worship service? What do you expect from an encounter with God? Certainly more than a dry, boring lecture, right? I, 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 need, some, I need some word and spirit. I need something to keep me gripped. You know, every time in the Old Testament that people have an encounter with God, Think of it, how they describe it. Abraham, a horror fell upon him. Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone. When we see God, when we encounter God as He presents Himself, beloved, we encounter holiness. We encounter good. We encounter right. We encounter truth. We encounter light. We encounter all that is good, the very good. And when you and I see this corruption, that comes from within, that makes me disgusting, 
that covers my relationships, that destroys everything around me, and you know that you can just reach out and grab the hem of that garment. Do you think maybe your encounter with Jesus would be just a little more emotional? I bet it was for that lady. I bet there was I bet there was a little bit of emotion in her heart. Because now secondly, let's look at this issue of the inner corruption. Both of these categories, men and women, there are some there are some things that strike us in both of these categories. The first is that both of these categories, the very corruption that is described is shameful, it's embarrassing, and it's isolating. Secret sin. Inner sin. The sin of your heart, the sin of your mind, Let me be more clear for some who may be blockheads. Where you go on the internet, what you watch on YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, anything else, what you go to in your music selections, what you go to, reflects the heart. And if you're honest, because I know I'm honest with myself, or I try to be, (laughs) but if you're honest with yourself, then you know a lot of the stuff that you go to probably doesn't fall directly under the category of speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A lot of the stuff that you and I go to, we can find redeeming value in. We can find insights on culture, maybe. But I'm not sure that we would necessarily, if Paul says, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Would that lead me to the show that you watched? This inner corruption is shameful, it's isolating, we hide from one another that sin, that corruption, we try to put on a good face, but only, beloved, the priest, only the priest is told, the person is told to go to the priest. The other thing that I want you to see, well, sorry, Andrew Bonar commenting on this, his Scottish pastor, 1800s, 7, 1800s. Anyway, Andrew Bonar says, oh, that we felt the shame of secret sin, secret unbelief, secret pride, secret selfishness, secret lusts, and secret idols. 
do you think the person who had this discharge felt shamed? And if this is speaking to us about inner sin, shouldn't we feel at least as bad? The other thing about this inner sin, this inner corruption, is that it notice how it contaminates everything. Everybody around, touch the bed, put the clothes, touch this, break that, scrub the other. Everything that inner sin unchecked affects all the people around us, all the stuff around us. Your heart, you cannot wall off from God or from anybody else. It absolutely affects everybody around you. Everything you touch. There's a corrupting and contaminating element here. The other thing that you noticed that popped out from the passage, you heard it over and over and over, was unclean until evening, until evening, until evening, until evening. Did you hear all that? Unclean until evening. The corruption isn't simply an oopsie. You didn't commit an uh-oh. An uh-oh is not this. This divides families. It pulls people apart. It divides husbands from wives. That woman in Mark chapter 5, unclean for 12 years, nobody could touch her. She couldn't touch anything for 12 years. She spent everything that she has to try to get cleansed from this thing that not only is personally shameful and uncomfortable and all of those things, but then has this added moral component where God has declared her to be unclean. And that draws us then to the priest. Mark chapter 5. Jesus feels the touch of faith. That's all you've got to do. That's all you got to do. That's it. You want to know what the gospel is? There it is. You want to know what Christian living is? There it is. You want to know what the sacraments are? There it is. That's all it is. Is you reach out and you grab the hem of his garment. And you say, if I can even just touch his garment, I will be healed. And beloved, you've got to say that every morning. You've got to say it every night. You've got to say it every time you come to God's Word. It is your life. Because that inner corruption is so insidious. It affects everything. It blinds us. Hey, I'm not a notorious sinner. That's enough, right? 
What does Jesus say about the lukewarm? (laughs) He hates the lukewarm more than he hates the hater. (laughs) I'd prefer you hate me. Hate me or love me. Don't be indifferent. I will spit you out. And beloved, that is the call to you and to me every single morning. This ongoing, isolating, shameful reality in which every old covenant man and old covenant woman lived in. Every single one. At some point. Repeatedly for women were treated like lepers from this inner corruption that came from them. This ongoing and shameful reminder that you are corrupt. It's only when you see that that you can cling to the garment of the one who passes by, in whose wings there are healings, and whose life there is joy. It is only when you see that, beloved, your high priest responds not to your brains, not to your intellect, action, intent, what... Your high priest responds to the young woman reaching out and grabbing the hem of the garment. And what did he say to her? He said to her what, beloved, he says to you and to me. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Be healed of your disease. This inner corruption comes from within. But it is no match for Jesus Christ. The healing power of Jesus Christ. Beloved changes all. It changes everything in your life. It costs you everything. But beloved, it gives you life eternal. It costs you and me nothing but our lives because it costs the Son of Man his life. You know, I opened with saying, what would an encounter with God look like? In the Old Testament, the encounter with God always looks like horror, like terror. Did you know there are three times in the New Testament, only three, that God the Father speaks? There's only three times that God the Father speaks in the New Testament. The first is at Jesus' baptism when the voice from heaven says, This 
is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The second is on the Mount of Transfiguration when the disciples are just amazed. Let's put up three tabernacles. And the voice comes from heaven, God the Father saying, This is my Son. Hear Him. And the third is in John chapter 12. Right before our Savior goes to the cross. And he's, he's groaning. He's saying, what shall I say from this? Take this from me. And yet for this, I was brought here for this hour. I came. What, what can I do? Father, I don't know how to pray. Just glorify your name. And a voice comes from heaven and says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. That voice of God the Father is a mighty voice. (laughs) It is a holy voice. And it's a holy voice that absolutely declares that His Son is your focus. His Son is His revelation. His Son is your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we see the insidiousness of sin, as we feel the effects of the serpent's venom coursing in our veins, so, Father, we feel and hear and know that one to whom we are united who has crushed that serpent's head, who is reigning and defeating that serpent, first beginning in us, And in our homes, in our lives, our families, our loved ones, and our communities. But Father, center us here. That we may reach out and seize the hem of our Savior's garment. And be healed. In Christ's name, amen.